Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I want to welcome you to episode number 135 of ADHD for Smartass Women. We're just going to jump right in today um, because I am just delighted to introduce you to Grace LaRange. Grace LaRange, EDS, is a school psychologist, behavior specialist, and suicide prevention coordinator working in public education with a BS in psychology and an advanced education specialist degree in school psychology. She has worked with diverse students ages 3 through 21 with learning disabilities, autism, ADHD, social emotional issues, intellectual disability, cultural linguistic differences, and behavioral challenges. Grace is passionate about equity, inclusion, and advocacy for all students, especially those with disabilities and other differences. In addition to her direct work with students, she collaborates and educates other adults to better understand and address the specific impacts these differences have on daily life. Grace recently implemented systemic changes in her district by developing updated policies and procedures for special education and suicide prevention intervention, focusing on equity and best practice. She serves as director at large on the board for her state school psychologist association. She also collaborates with the broader community through the suicide prevention coalition in her county. Initially drawn to school psychology due to the school struggle of her brother with ADHD, little did Grace know that she would be diagnosed much later at the age of 32. Since then, Grace has been integrating this new ADHD facet of her life in the context of being an educator working with students with disabilities and behavior challenges. Wow, Grace, did I get all that right? Yeah, it sounds correct to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. And first of all, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for what you do. I was just blown away by your background. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I love my work with the kids for sure. It's, it's a hard job, but I really enjoy it. And this year, this last year specifically has been the, probably the hardest one of my career. <laughs> so I can imagine with COVID. I, wow. So before we get into all the stuff that we're going to talk about today, can I ask what the circumstances around your ADHD diagnoses were, just so that our audience can get to know you a little better? Yeah. So I'd been struggling. I'd, my last job, I was struggling quite a lot with stress and burnout. And I'd had been suffering for like long-term, like that low-grade depression for a really long time, like since I was 16 or 17 years old. And it just has always been that way. And some anxiety issues and eating disorders and all these different things kind of piled on and nothing was really working as much as I'd like. I had medications and therapies and all these things. And I was talking to my mom one day and my mom's like, you need to look into ADHD. And I was like, what? And she's like, I just got diagnosed. 
with ADHD <gasps> myself. And I was like, okay. She's like, you sound just like me. Like, you sound just like this. And she started listing off all these things. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, you know, look into it with my psychiatrist and, and do all that stuff. Cause I was already all connected to all those things already for my other issues. And we went through it. And as I started kind of going over my background from when I was younger all the way up, I mean, things just kind of fell into place in terms of, oh, that's okay. That makes a lot of sense now as to why that happened or this happened or what I was doing, all these things. And so I got diagnosed with that and I ended up um, getting put on medication right away because I'm not a I'm not afraid of medications as at all and uh, and a stimulant. And then um, I immediately noticed a difference and how I could cope with things better and focus better. Still trying to work out medications things, but yeah. Did it reduce your anxiety? Yeah. That was one thing he was worried about initially with the stimulant um, that mm -hmm. it would make my anxiety worse, right. but it actually seemed to get better. And I guess, I mean, really for years, I had been self-medicated already with like, caffeine and cigarettes and sugar. Like, you know, I'd just been pumping myself full of whatever I could do to get myself, you know, elevated with dopamine and all that stuff. So basically what that did was just kind of take off that edge I already had. And my anxiety was really coming from the fact that I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could get anything done, you know? So Absolutely. a lot of that lesson. So you noticed a difference with the anxiety. Did you also notice a difference with the depression once you were on the stimulants? Uh, somewhat. My depression had pretty, like, gotten pretty under control. We had taken a long time to get medications correct and everything. And the burnout was still there. And that had to change, too. I had to change what I was doing to a different job, which is the current one I have now, which I love. What were you doing before this job? Um, the same kind of thing. I was a school psychologist. It was a different um role basically. And I had a lot more work, <laughs> like uh, the workload was just too much. And the, um, the culture that I was in wasn't, wasn't very helpful to what I needed for my ADHD. Like I needed to be able to do more of the, the fun, interactive child stuff and do all the bigger picture things that I wanted to do, as opposed to all this nitty gritty, just like paperwork and the same thing all the time and managing way too many schools and people and yeah it just wasn't didn't fit me so so it was environment as well yeah that was another big part of it I mean there's a lot of other things I did once I did get medicated it wasn't just medication it was also like okay I need to reassess like does this job fit with the things that I need it to be and then I switched over and of course things went all over I once COVID happened so that kind of exasperated my ADHD symptoms quite a bit um, actually. So I've had to be figuring that out this last year or so. So let me ask you this. Once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what were some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly, oh my gosh, this is ADHD? Um, probably like for us, smart as I am, I've been told I am. I was in talented and gifted programs my whole school career, um, skipped third grade. You know, I I was doing really well in school, pretty much in like my elementary school, especially. But so kind of when I hit middle school, like puberty time and above, which I've heard is very typical, actually, of things to get way worse, um, was when I kind of started struggling with kind of just forgetfulness. Like I just, I see, I seem to be very disorganized. I was very almost like quote ditzy in the fact that I just forget stuff, like randomly. I lose things all the time. I could never find anything. I remember times when I was a kid, I'm not being able to, you know, I'm supposed to clean up my room. My mom's like, clean your room or else kind of thing. And I'd get in there and she'd come in about an hour later. I'd be playing with some dolls like I found that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I hadn't gotten anything done. So she would go through and try to take my toys and put them in a bag to send to Goodwill. And, you know, it was a whole mess. But yeah, so it's like that kind of thing. Impulsivity was a big thing. Um, I was much a, very much a tomboy as a kid. Um, and so I'd lash out a lot. Um, at people really randomly, no trouble with friends. I have always thought, like had sensory issues for a long time in terms of, like I, just tags. I can't do, I can't wear certain things. I don't like going to stores. I don't like all the sound and commotion and things. Like I know how some people like love target, for example, I don't like target. <laughs> it's too much 
for me to, I can't just stay in there. I'm like, I'm going to sit in here all day and shop. I don't know how people do it. I don't. And the fact that I just always felt like I couldn't do adult things ever. I just feel like <laughs> as I grew up, I was like, how can I not do this? I'm supposed to be smart. How can I not be able to, you know, do like they had an international baccalaureate program in my high school, for example. And I was encouraged to go there because I was supposedly smart. But in my mind, I was like, no, that's, mm, that's too much. You know, there's no way I could do that. I did a couple AP classes, you know, like advanced placement, but I just was, yeah, just had that confidence to do that kind of stuff. I emotionally am very sensitive. I've always been very reactive to things. Mom even warned people, like old coaches I had and stuff, like, if you need to tell her something that she's not doing well, this is how you need to tell her or she's going to melt. Like, just, you know, and that kind of thing. So I had a lot of just regulation issues. It was either like, it was either like kind of wound up really high, just like all over the place, or I was a complete potato. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> And that's still the way it is today. So it, that has not changed much. I just have to kind of ride the wave of it at this point. So what has changed since you were diagnosed? Well, it's funny to me because I've I'd been working with students for, at the time, I'd been working with them for like six or seven years, six years, I think, um, in schools specifically at my job. And I'd work with plenty of students with ADHD. And most of the time, I was in that same vein of like, most of the time there were boys because the one um, a lot of the ones that I worked with were ones that were jumping around the room and blurting out and getting in fights and, you know, those kinds of kids. And the more I went into research kind of about girls with ADHD and, you know, women with ADHD, just for my own benefit, I was like, oh, I might be missing some of these other kids that I didn't realize I might be missing um, for, for girls and how that can affect them in ways that I didn't understand before for, for boys either, you know? So it's like, they're being more affected with that executive functioning, that frontal brain stuff of just organization and all those things, planning, prioritization, those kinds of um, deals. And that's more of an impact to them than maybe I was giving him credit for even as an expert in that. And as I, you know, I just did a lot more research on it. And as I've been doing that, I've, learned a lot more about myself also. And even as close as this year has been my biggest year of really digging into it. Cause I still, even though that was about four years ago that I got diagnosed, I still hadn't really come to terms with it myself. So about this is who I am and it's okay. Mm -hmm. As opposed to being like, well, this isn't, you know, a diagnosis an excuse for what's been going on <laughs> this whole time. And I always looked at it as an excuse for a long time. And I don't give myself the same love and benefit of the doubt that I would give kids so that have the same concerns. So so it sounds like um, the shame has really been reduced and the benefit of your diagnosis is now you're helping even more kids because you're really seeing what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. I really, yeah, I can really get it. And I always, always felt that way a little bit with like the depression, anxiety stuff. I get that because I've had that for such a long time. Uh -huh. It's hard to say, you know, chicken and egg or if they're the, the same, you know, nest. But the depression, anxiety stuff, I mean, it's always been kind of like, why doesn't it get better? Like, why is it not getting better? And I do all these things and I'm doing all this therapy, all this meds. I was on so many medications and it wasn't getting better. But I felt since I had this diagnosis, it has gotten better because now it's like, oh, I'm giving myself accommodations I need and I'm, you know, understanding what I'm supposed to do more and I'm forgiving myself more for things that I just can't do right now for whatever reason, you know, and, and, you know, in the moment or just right now in general in my life. So it's, it's been helpful there. I'm still not all the way there yet, but it's helped to kind of focus this year on talking to myself. Like I talk to my kids. Um, that's been my biggest goal. <laughs> I love year. that. I love that. So Grace, are, were you diagnosed as inattentive um, or combined type? Combined. Yeah. Combined. Okay. Yeah. So you have both the hyperactivity and the inattention. Mm -hmm. my, my hyperactivity is more in my mind, if nothing else. Um, 
right now I'm deliberately trying to talk as slow as possible. <laughs> this is as slow as I talk probably. Um, but otherwise I'm, you know, I'm constantly fidgeting and moving um, a lot, even when I'm sitting down. Um, and I have my hyper-focused superpower. That's my one, <laughs> my one thing. And my time blindness is probably one of the other biggest symptoms I have. I have no idea what time is. So, and everyone else got to experience that this last year. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. So Grace, I know that I asked you to come on to talk to us about audio journaling, what it is and how it's helped you. And we're still going to do that. But as I was reading last night about your vast experience around suicide prevention, what I was hoping was that I could ask you a few questions about that first. So last year, thank you. Last year, a young woman who was part of our big Facebook group, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, she came to me and I think she was working on her PhD, if I remember correctly. And she was conducting a study around ADHD women and suicide. And my recollection was that she wanted to post a survey of some sort in our group. And she happened to mention that nearly one in four women with ADHD had attempted suicide. And, you know, my group and this podcast, it's all about, you know, screw your weaknesses, shore up your strengths. I mean, I'm always trying to, you know, <laughs> focus on the positive emotion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that's where I was with my head. I don't know. But I told her, you must be mistaken. That can't possibly be true. I, I didn't know that. And then I did the research. And I was so shocked to discover that she was absolutely right, that one in four women with ADHD have attempted suicide. And so initially I thought, well, this must be inattentive women with ADHD because they're more in their head, right? Well, I was wrong again. It's mind type hyperactives because of their impulsivity. So I'd love to know what you think about, like, why would ADHD women have such a high risk for suicide? And what do you think that we need to do to change that? And I know that's a lot of question. It's a big question. Yeah. And that's one thing I've actually been exploring recently um, as I've been doing some work. And I know you've, I believe you've had her on before. Maybe you haven't, I'm not sure. But if anyone knows anything about women with ADHD, it's about uh, Sari Solden, like her book, <laughs> that book changed my life. And I've been working through actually the workbook that accompanies her women with ADHD book um, to kind of go through some of that stuff. Because I was, a, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I am one of those one in four. So okay, I've had that. Hmm? Thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah. Like, like I said, I'm pretty open and honest about talking with most things. So I, well, a part of it's reducing the stigma of it, of talking about it. Absolutely. Um, because I think a lot of people, especially as women, um, society tells us what we're supposed to be like. And there's one, one thing I was thinking about just growing up in general was that I always felt like I was never really a girl, not in the fact that I thought it was something else, like a boy or, a, you know, something else like that. It's more like, I can't be like other girls. Like, how can I not do the things that they do? Like, how do they remember to put on lotion every day? And how do they do their hair all the time? And how, you know, why are they look so good all the time? And how can they put outfits together? And how do they look like they have it all together all the time? And little do I know, like, they don't always have it all together. Obviously, no one does. But in my mind, my entire life has felt like just inadequate all the time. Part of the reason I think also why I kind of just defaulted to boys because I'm like, I can wear whatever I want and play sports and they don't care as long as I'm, you know, nice to them for the most part. But even then I still like, well, you're a girl. You can't do this, that, and the, you know. So either way, I was, I was in you trouble. You didn't fit in. I was in trouble. So I think there was part of that. And I think just kind of as we grow up, I mean, the expectations of what women are supposed to do in our society are all the things that, unfortunately, a lot of times women with ADHD are not good at. And that's, you know, organization, planning, prioritizing, taking care of other people a lot, having to like manage a bunch of different things at once. Like if they're trying to manage a home and a job and a partner or whatever else, or kind of the person that's supposed to be in charge of all that stuff. And that's gotten... A little better as like equality has happened more and more maybe that things are come coming out but i think honestly the those gender roles and those internalized like shame of how you're just not ever going to be like those women and how bad that makes you feel because you're 
you know, brain just keeps telling you that <laughs> you're like, you're never going to be like them and no one's ever going to love you. And, you know, and it just kind of spirals down. And, and it's not. Grace, it's not even just your brain, right? Society tells us. That oh, no, it's internalized. Yeah. Messages from all over the place. Yeah. I hear you. Totally. And I was, I talk about like how it's, it's the negative ones you hear. Also, like people have told you, why can't you do this thing? Why does it take you so long to do this other thing? Why can't you get started earlier? Why don't you choose a planner? Why don't you do this other thing? And it gets, you know, you're like, I don't know why, <laughs> you know? I don't know. I'm broken, apparently. Like, I don't know why I can't do it. But there's also the positive messages that I heard. I've noticed that also affected me negatively. We're like, you know, oh, that woman's got all this stuff together and look how much she's doing. And and I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not even close to as good as that, you know, or whatever. Because there's all this praise they put on this person and I'm nothing like that person. And so for me, I'm like, well, I must suck, you know, because I don't have any of that. But you probably were that person, right? But it's just you were, you didn't see yourself as that person. What they oh, saw. Yeah, yeah, and I had a negative bias, of, like most people do. But, um, you know, towards like, well, everyone's like, well, you can't, I know you can't do this thing. And I'm horrible at everything. And I was like, well, you got a graduate degree, though. I'm like, but I'm horrible at everything. And I, <laughs> you know, and even when I did get my graduate degree, it was probably when my ADHD was the worst it's ever been, was going through that just reading it alone was just, Oh my God. But yeah, the, I think just having that pressure and not saying men don't have their own pressures, but they have a little bit of more flexibility in some ways, <laughs> I guess, and their own issues. But I think as in terms of what is expected of women in society is a lot of the things that, like I said, we're just not that great at naturally it's a harder thing for us to get we need more strategies and more work on those things it doesn't come as naturally maybe as to other people it would um so just a lot more work and you know you're doing all this work and it's still hard and you know eventually you just get tired you get tired of it and you're like this is not even you know and if things aren't going well otherwise in your life because of a lot of the things that adhd will do i mean sometimes you lose your job because you're always late or <laughs> you don't do the tasks you're supposed to, or you forget stuff, or your house is a disaster because you just cannot, you know, keep it together somehow. Or, you know, just you do stuff, you know, a breakup happens because you were you, you know, basically, and they didn't like that or something like that. No, there's just a lot of things that ADHD can immediately affect, the symptoms of it can affect that can really just make it feel like you're just a total loser. And it's easy to get in that mindset like, well, I'm worthless, you know, and to go kind of from there. So I can, I definitely can see that. Um, and the more I, I've learned about it recently, especially my work with students, is that when I do find a student that, like, especially girls that have some like depression, anxiety stuff too, I also kind of am open to listening for the other symptoms, not necessarily ADHD for, particularly, but the executive functioning problem. And seeing if, like, if that's something they're going through, I can see like, this is where some of that's coming from. If you can feel successful, there might be some pieces of that we can help with, at least in school. I mean, there's not a whole lot of therapeutic stuff I do in terms of, you know, sitting down and talking with kids for weeks on end. And, you know, that's not really my role, but to kind of help them through school, those are kind of the things that I get them to be aware of. And like, that's just who I am. And here's how we have to deal with that. And we have to work around it. So do you really work with them on, or you focus on, okay, wait a minute. Now you say, you know, you can't do this, this, and this, but what can you do? What are you really good, good at? Is that pretty much the focus of it? Just trying yeah, to, I like to do strengths. Yeah. Strengths focused, solution focused. Um, it's called solution focused brief counseling. A lot of times um, that's what it's referred to. And I will do a lot of that stuff. And that's what's so funny to me too about my own journey is that if I had a student in front of me that had the same symptoms as me or same issues as I did, I'd know exactly what to tell them what to do. <laughs> you know, I'd have a lot of ideas for them and how to work through it. But for myself, it's like I forget that I can use this on myself a lot of times. So that's part of the reason that audio journaling, like you mentioned before, has come in handy for that reason. 
Yeah, because you're you're basically acting as that source outside of yourself to talk to yourself, right? Yeah, I'm talking to myself, basically. <laughs> yeah, but out loud, because for some reason in my head, I can't do it. My head's like, Psh. but if I talk out loud and then I can replay it back to myself, um, it just makes it a little more powerful. Plus, I'm just a lot nicer to myself when I talk out loud. <laughs> I know. Aren't we? It's that internal mm-hmm. voice, right? That's such a little shit. Yeah, but if you say it out loud, you're like, okay. Wait a minute. (laughs) Hold on. Who do you think you are? Can Mm -hmm. I ask you, what are the signs to look for that indicate suicidal ideation? Well, at least in students um, and kids that um, I've seen, it kind of depends on their age. So what I see usually in younger students, especially in in boys particularly, but it can be in girls as well. A lot of anger comes out that way because that's for some reason acceptable (laughs) more than just being sad, but also just um, the high reactivity. um, So that things like the kid cries, I'm like, I just told her that she just needed to fix this thing on her paper and she started crying, you know? And those are some things like, well, that's odd, you know, that's kind of an issue. And just to see where that's coming from, like, you know, the reason, like, what made you cry? Were you upset that day for something else? Or was it specifically because of this feedback you got? And if it's something like that, well, what is your, you know, what is, what do you think that means? Or, you know, and they'll sometimes will tell you like, well, I'm stupid, you know, and they'll have this negative self-talk and you can hear them talking out loud about, they think they're stupid, they're worthless, things are hopeless. Um, I mean, those are very typical things you'll hear themes of as people are talking, especially with kids and teens. They're not as secretive as you would think they would be, um, as long as they're comfortable, but like, they will often say something that'll hint at it. Um, they mm-hmm. want help almost all the time. I've never seen a kid that doesn't really. <laughs> I want to say almost all the time because I don't know all the children, but all the kids I've ever met have never not wanted help. They just don't know how to ask for it. So they'll stay, say things like, well, no one, no one even wants me around and my parents don't even like me and everyone hates me. And so those kind of you can hear when they start talking out loud, they're saying those negative self-talk things that they would be saying in their head. And if they are doing that, and that's like, especially the hopelessness, the, you know, and helplessness piece of it specifically are the two main factors I look for. And I think there's no hope and no help for them. So they, they don't see anything ever getting better. They're stuck right where they are for the rest of their life kind of. Mm-hmm. And they'll always be this way because, you know, especially as a teenager <laughs> do like, or even a kid, it's always going to be this way forever. And I was the same way. I mean, looking back um, as I've kind of dissected my past, as I've worked through a lot of my own issues, I'm just like, Oh yeah, that was me <laughs> all the time. Gosh, so, yeah, that, that's the most, the biggest thing is the hopelessness, worthlessness, no one wants me around kind of stuff. Um, the talk. And the actions sometimes that go along with that. But mostly it's, they'll say stuff. You'll hear it. So if you know someone who you believe has, you know, suicidal ideation, what do you do? Like, how do you reach out for help? I, I think, you know, we're always so worried about doing more harm, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. We ultimately end up probably not doing enough. Mm-hmm. I think the commonest misconception that still a lot of people have. Hopefully people are more aware of this now, but if they're not, it's okay to ask somebody if they are thinking of suicide. It is. Even kids. I've call, I've asked kids that, that question, regardless of age. I don't ask, like sometimes I change the language, obviously for younger mm-hmm. kids. Like, I mean, you know, are you, do you think of hurting yourself or are you going to harm yourself? Do you feel like you want, you know, do you want, sometimes they'll say, I want to die. And like, okay, tell me more about that, <laughs> you know? And with me specifically, I have training in what it's called is ASSIST. It's A-S-I-S-T, ASSIST is the acronym. It's the training I was in, which I really like. And I think it's open to a lot of folks, not just like people like me. The, the goal is to have a lot of people trained. There's mm-hmm. also um, another one called QPR. That's a shorter training, but it's also like a question, persuade, response like that. It's, it's basically another way to gain that information on how you can talk to somebody and get them help and get them connected without having to be, say, their therapist, you know, like, no, that's not how it is. You don't feel that way. I think the biggest thing is to 
ask the question is probably the hardest part, <laughs> but okay. are you thinking of suicide or are you thinking of hurting yourself? Or are you thinking of killing yourself? And sometimes hurting yourself isn't enough. So are you thinking of killing yourself? And a lot of times they will tell you, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've thought about it or, you know, and do you have a plan and that kind of thing. But once they tell you that, I think the biggest thing too is to not go to that immediate place. You want to go like, no, you're, everything's, you're fine. And we can, you know, trying to placate and trying to diminish what they're feeling and just say, I hear you and I accept what you're telling me and I'm here to help you. And, you know, well, I'll help, you know, I'll do what I can to help you um, get through this and kind of go through it that way. But I think it's the hardest part for people that have to ask that question is to control your own emotions and not get super sad or angry. It's easy, easy to do either one. You're like um, to start crying because it's like, if it's your best friend or it's your sister or your kid or whoever, um, it's easy to get very upset about it. Um, that's natural. But the trick is to like have to control like, okay, I hear you, you know, and that's all you need to really say. <laughs> And so that like, they actually we're gonna help. feel like they're getting support rather than them then having to support the person who's crying, right? Yeah, or to feel bad because they're like, oh, great, I said something and now she's crying and now she's sad about it. I'm never going to talk to anyone again. Um, or, you know, I made people upset. I am the worst, you know, like I'm the worst person because I made someone else upset about this whole situation. It's only supposed to be about me and whatever else. So, yeah, it turns into that. And it's, you know, it just, again, it adds to the shame. Whatever we can take whenever we can take the shame away out of it to be able to admit that. Hence why I do admit it. Cause I'm like, I don't feel ashamed about it. I'm actually pretty proud of myself that I made it through it. And so to kind of flip the script on it a little bit. Well, and that they can, they trust you, right? I always say the best purposes give meaning to our past, right? Which clearly this is your purpose and they can trust you so much more than they could trust someone who hasn't been through it because they see you as an example of it did get better. You made it through. Look at you now. That's possible too. Yeah. And the, a lot of times when they are actively suicidal, I will not bring that up. <laughs> I will be the first to say that I do not bring it up because it's not about me. Um, and so it's easy to do that with, especially with, um, I know as people with ADHD in general, that's kind of how we connect to people a lot. It's like, Oh, I understand. I have the same thing happened. Da, da, da. You know, we, we, tend to default that way. And I do it all the time in my social circles all the time, you know, and I have to like tell people I'm like, Oh, I didn't mean to like try to one up you or true. Try to make it yeah. about me. Um, that's not what I was doing. I promise. Um, I was trying to it, connect. <laughs> I know I was just trying. I know there's so many memes about it. It makes me laugh, but you know, I know that's how we often connect to people, but for this specific thing with suicide, it's not helpful oftentimes to talk about that maybe later once they're in therapy and once they're kind of not actively suicidal maybe but even then it's very rare that i will talk to students about my own struggles with that specifically i will talk about depression my own depression and anxiety issues i've had before but yeah i usually don't go go that far oftentimes um because again it's like i said it's not about me i try to make it as focused on them as possible and that I'm here to help them because um, they matter to me. <laughs> I, know, I, I wrote not about me and I put that in a big box. So it sounds like <laughs> that is really, that's probably where we would get it wrong, right? That oh, it's where a lot of people do. It's not yeah. just us, yeah, but a lot of people would, but yeah, it's, well, you know, you, know, you make it about yourself when you're the one that gets sad and mad or upset about it or frustrated or you know, or if they won't tell you stuff, you get mad about it. It's, and it's, you just have to remember, it's not about me and this is about them and how can I help them? Okay. So then I'm here to help you. What do we do then? Well, it just depends on your level of like comfort with it. Oftentimes um, with some of the training that I've done, what we try to do more often is just help them see the support they have already. Like who, you know, who can you talk to if you're feeling this way? Or do you have someone you could go talk to for that? Or would you like me to help you find someone to talk to? And if you don't know, I mean, as long as you have resources, like here's, you know, you can call a hotline or something like that, or 
a lot of times for, especially for kids, at least there's often a, um, like a mental health center for like children, youth kind of thing that can be called. There's usually a, something that for that as well. There's also the school where kids in school, schools usually have access to something, <laughs> um, or at least they know who to call to help connect either through either a school psychologist like me, school counselors sometimes are also that. And sometimes schools even have social workers that can connect. Every once in a while too, we have schools that we're trying to do this now with that have in-house therapists to try to have kids have equal access to therapy since we're out in a kind of a rural area. It's a little harder for those students to get the help they need unless they have it just right there when they're in school. So yeah, that's just trying to get them connected to someone that is trained to help them. It's not like, I just want to make sure it's, you know, I, I want you to be able to ask those questions. And, you know, now that you know, you can help them, you know, but you're not supposed to be the person that has to like counsel them and fix them either. It's there to connect them yeah. to the next thing. So when you say, okay, you can call a hotline, does that mean you have to get them to call the hotline or can you actually call the hotline for someone else? And then like, I'm just practically trying to figure out, okay, how would you do this? If you, you know, cause most of us don't know, we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's a, it is a hard thing to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can, you know, offer to help call for them to talk to somebody you can help offer to, you know, here's some people. If it's like your own kid, um, you know, that's when you can call counseling therapists, things like that to see who can um, get them connected to counseling and those kinds of things. Um, but you can call on your own behalf to be like, I have this going on and what can I do? Because sometimes they also have it for people that are supporting people with suicide. You can also talk to those same people to see what they can do to help because they're also trained to give that information. So Okay. So would you be able to share with me some hotline information, anything like that? And we don't have to do it right here if you don't know it right off the top of your head. I was but say, like, oh, remembering things. Yeah. I mean, I can find some to put in the Wonderful. Um, show notes or something. Show like notes. That. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll definitely do that because I'm sure, you know, many of our listeners are like me where I... I would not know where to go. And I feel like, you know, obviously for our big Facebook group, we do have a list of, you know, hotlines and information on all of this, places we, mm-hmm. where we can send people. But on a personal level, other than that, I just wouldn't know what more to do. And it sounds like that's okay. Yeah. You know, and it's okay to admit that, like, I'm not sure what to do, but I'm here to help, you know, and we're going to find out together, you know, and... Um, it's okay to admit that you don't exactly know what to do, but you're here to help them figure it out. So the goal really is to just make sure that they know that they are not alone and you're going to do whatever you can to help them. Yeah, they're not alone and they're not bad because of what they said. They're not, you know, okay. there's no shame in what they said, that you're glad they told you Got and it. you're here to help. I mean, that's the main message. And then, and it's not about you. Yeah, and just don't make it by yourself. Yeah, it's it's so hard not to be like, oh, I've felt that way before, and mm-hmm. I've been depressed before. It's like, okay, yeah, think, thanks, mom. You know what? I don't need to hear about your depression, mom. You know that's kind of thing. So I think it's and that's it's exactly to- what I would do, Grace. Right? I, would I know. Think- I'm the same way. In a lot of ways, if I hadn't been trained this specific way mm-hmm. and been told that it's not helpful, I would automatically default to that, just because that's how I've related people a long time. <laughs> So I've had to kind of unlearn that and kind of just, you know, now that I have like the steps in my head, you know, mm-hmm. and I can also put, um, I'll get some information too about those different training things. Cause a lot of times, sometimes they'll be free through like the health department and they're really quick, like an hour or something like Wonderful. that. And then you're kind of just prepared. You have like a little thing and you're prepared for, that's a thing that might be an eventuality in your life and it can work with anybody, not just kids, but anyone. Love you know, thank you so much for being willing to talk about this. It has literally weighed on me for probably six or seven months trying to find someone because I knew it was important we talk about it, but I just wanted to make sure it was the right person. And then to just have you literally fall into my lap like this. You know? <laughs> I'm just glad. I, yeah, I'm glad, glad, glad to talk about it. Yeah, it's it's been a nice opportunity for me. I mean, I've taken a lot of, um, I mean, this is very 
clearly like an issue to me personally as well. So I've always been interested in this. So I've been training on it for a long, long time since I ever since I started. But this is the first time this last year or so that I've been able to really like implement something. Like here's how we're going to address these things in school, and here's how I need to train my staff and to respond to it and and those kinds of things. So I wish every school had a grace. Oh, we're trying. (laughs) Support school psychologists and education reform in general. But mm. okay, so we're going to move on to what we were going to talk about: audio journaling. (laughs) Sure. sure. What is it? So it actually turned out because I I had gotten Evernote because you know how we all try about million different apps um, for anything productive. Like, can I do anything? I I get them all the time. I get like four or five a month. I swear. I'm like trying out. (laughs) to see like, what'll be this one, maybe this one. So I had Evernote and I realized it had this little microphone on it. And I was like, what's this for? And so one day I, you know, was clicking on it and it's like, oh, I could just like make an audio note. Okay. And I'd always been told that like journaling is so helpful and blah, blah, blah. However, with my perfectionist tendencies <laughs> that I have also kind of comes from my ADHD a little bit too. I had a hard time just writing things out without being like, well, that doesn't sound right. And uh, the grammar of that is whatever, you know, and, and getting too bogged down in that, um, making it sound like someone else was going to read it or something. Whatever, like, <laughs> Yeah. So I get too in my head about it. And so I was like, well, let's see what happens if I just talk to myself through here. Just like, and initially it started off with like, okay, I just want to know what am I going to do today? Okay. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and blah, blah. And as you're talking to yourself, you don't care about what it sounds like to someone else because you're just talking. You just free flow, blah, 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 out of your mouth. Um, And eventually what I found too was that I'd also, as I was going through those things, often hit on some things that were emotionally affecting me that I didn't realize. So I'm like, all of a sudden I'm crying. Why am I crying about this? (laughs) Like, Or like, oh, I must be really, I feel really overwhelmed or I'm actually really distracted by this other thing going on in my life. So it's been hard to get here. And a lot of times, especially this started being mostly a thing when I started feeling the most burnout in my last few years back is that I would get to work and I couldn't get out of my car. Um, I just was stuck. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not getting out. I'm just start freaking out and, you know, have a panic attack and start crying. And I was like, okay, I'm going to turn on my little microphone <laughs> on my phone because it's on there, a little widget, just microphone. And just start talking. And I'd talk it out. And sometimes I'd go back and replay it. Yes. Um, especially if there's a to-do list in there. I'll go back and replay it and I can play and pause and play and pause as I write things down. <laughs> um, but also sometimes it's just to get it out. And I think we had talked about it earlier as well. When I talk out loud, I act like I'm talking to myself because I really am talking to myself. But I feel like that's a, since it's outside of myself in a phone or in a microphone, it feels like I am talking to somebody else. It's just a weird trick in my brain for some reason. And I tend to be a lot nicer to myself. So, you know, there'll be times when I'm like, oh, I'm so stupid. And then I'm like, well, no, I'm not stupid. I'm just, you know, <laughs> whatever. You know, so I'll like automatically try to change it. Because once I say it out loud, it just makes it so much more real. And you're like, oh, no, that's not, that's not a good thing to say to yourself. You know, kind of you just realize it more because you hear it, you know out loud as opposed to just kind of quote hearing it in your head it's a little different different neural pathways to be scientific about it well and you know what's interesting grace now that you're saying this what i'm thinking is you're saying these things in your head but you're not really even paying that much attention right it's just kind Mm -hmm. of it just keeps going versus the minute it gets out of your mouth you're like wait Yeah, it's like background noise in your head. It's kind of yeah. like how we do with, with anything in the background. That's kind of just a bunch of clutter and noise. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of all just there. And eventually you kind of stop looking at it because it's been there forever. So you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. As opposed to when you say that, like, wait a second. That sounds horrible. Like, And especially with me having my focus this year, it's funny. I make my goals during like school year years because <laughs> for some, that's just how I roll. But um that was my one goal this year. It's like, I need to talk to myself more like I talked to a kid um, because I'm super understanding. I mean, there could be a kid that threw a chair through a window and I'd still be like, 
I wonder what's going on with that little guy, you know? <laughs> and hmm, as opposed to like that little such and such, you know? Um, the curiosity. Yeah, it's more of a curiosity. Like, what's going on in there? Like, what are you trying to tell me? Because um, all the that stuff is communication, just not with words. So I do the same thing now as much as I can. I'm not perfect at it by any stretch. But as much as I can be like, okay, what's going on? Why are mm-hmm. you feeling this way? You know, <laughs> what's going on with you that makes you think that this is the case? You know, especially my one thing that's still always been a struggle for me is like, and I think it's that that uh, react, reactive sensitivity or whatever, that whole thing. Okay. I always think everyone hates me. I very quickly will go there like, oh, they don't talk, they didn't talk to me today. They must hate me, you know, <laughs> instantly. And so for me, I have to, like, again, when I talk out loud about it, I'm like, well, they don't hate me. I'm like, they just talked to me yesterday. And they were like, happy to talk to me. And they reached out to me. And I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't even know anything. There's no data <laughs> that tells me <laughs> that they hate me other than the lack of data which is them not texting or something. And then they eventually do. And like, that person's not like that. I have to like kind of convince myself, but again, it's out loud. If I do it inside my own head, my own brain is stronger than my other part of my brain that thinks the nice things, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But when I say it out loud for whatever reason, and I can't exactly explain it other than it's different, like sensory input. So it makes it different is that it just makes it more like, easier to argue with, (laughs) I guess. So when it's in your head, it's the judgy chastising grace versus when it's out of your mouth, it's more the friend or the, I mean, I guess you're basically being your own therapist, right, Grace? Like In a way, yeah. True. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and my judgy self will come out, but then I'll be like, hey, don't talk to my friend that way. You know, (laughs) how dare you? So uh, that's, a bit of thing that um, has been a lot more helpful. And I noticed too, when I kind of drop off, because all of us are so good at keeping habits going. Um, when that drops off, I do notice a difference because I'm like, oh, I just feel like garbage. And like, Ugh. and I'm like, well, I haven't done that in a while. And I, you know, I'm in my head a lot. And when I'm in my head a lot, I stew and simmer over and perseverate on things. And just getting back into that little habit. Um, it was easier when I went to work because I had kind of a routine. Cause I'd go uh-huh. in there, I'd drive to work, I'd park my car, and I'd do it before I went into work. And, and this was like clockwork? You just... Pretty much, always, yeah. So can I ask you, when you do this, when you're done, is there a lot of dopamine, positive emotion? Like, you just feel really good? I feel like I'm ready to take on some stuff, at least. Like, I'm ready to get out of my car. That's the biggest thing. The initiation of getting out of my car is, like, that first step. Okay, I'm like, all right. I got all that out. I at least have kind of a plan of attack of my day, maybe, or I've gotten some of that stuff off my chest that I needed to. And now I have enough oomph to get out of my car for those hard days. And then once I got out of my car, I can get started, get on my desk. And if I need to be like, what was I going to do? I go back in my little journal because it saves in Evernote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just play it and pause it <laughs> and write down, oh, yeah, I was going to do this thing. Or this is the most important thing on my mind right now. Or I know this is what I need to do. Or so do you kind of sit there and you plan and schedule your day? Sometimes. It just depends on what's on my mind that day. Sometimes like I've had I've had times where I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm so overwhelmed. There's a million things on my to-do list. What the heck am I going to do with myself? And those are the days I'll do some of that. Like, well, I got to do this and the other thing and whatever. But other days where I'm like, I've had like, a, I've had a couple of times where there's been like interpersonal issues outside of my work that have been bothering me. And I'm like just sad about them or something's happened in my personal life that I'm upset about. And then I'll just chat that out and I'll sometimes I'll cry it out. It's where water, waterproof mascara comes in handy <laughs> and get that out. And then once that's over, once I kind of get a little cry out, I'm like, all right, I feel better. Like I can go and do this. So it's so interesting. What you're basically saying is that you use this to process. So you're basically your own ADHD coach. <laughs> I try. Yeah. It's like, that's what I can do. Yeah. Cause a lot of things I talk about, I'm like, I don't want to talk about this with anybody else. Cause they don't understand, you know, necessarily. And it takes um, long to explain it all. Right. We know exactly. Oh what's yeah. Going on with us. yeah. To explain the background of all yeah. the things going on. I'm like, this will take us five sessions at least to get the background story <laughs> about this situation that I can get out. Um, you know, this thing. And then since I'm not writing it, it, I don't, sit in my head and be like, well, that doesn't sound right. You know, I can just fumble over my words and 
you know, make noises. And sometimes I even listen to a little bit of music in the background because it records that a little bit too. <laughs> so I'll be in my car with my radio and I'll talk about the music sometimes or like I'll, you know, sometimes there's days where I don't really have a whole lot going on, you know, but I'll still do it as force of habit. Like, you know, I'm actually doing pretty good today. You know, kind of like I'm talking to somebody. I'm just mm-hmm. talking on the phone to somebody about how things are going. Um, you know, I and the nice thing too is you could always share those with people if you wanted to. Like if you did have a counselor that you felt comfortable sharing those things yeah. with, you could. It sounds like just getting out of your own head allows you to make it real and then see, okay, well, what is it that's bugging, bugging me today? Because you know how sometimes you just have this angsty feel and you don't even know what it is? Oh, yeah. The funk, I call it. I'm like, I'm just yeah. this weird funk. And I don't know what yeah. it is. And that was me the last couple of days. And I had to do the same thing. Where I was like, okay, I need to just chat it out. And I was like, oh, so just this thing. Or I have just too many things in my head at once, too. It gets so messy in there because your head, you know, all we know is our ideas are just flying through our head, like, all the time. And they're everywhere. And it's like kind of like a whirlwind of papers, I feel like. That's going to feel like my head's like. Yeah, no, I can completely relate to that. And that audio part of it is like me kind of reaching there and just like pulling out the one that's bugging me, you know, yoink, and let's talk about this one. Um, It kind of lets me focus on the one thing. And sometimes like my audio journal thing will be like all over the place. Oh, yeah, and another thing. And oh, I need the groceries over here. No, that the school thing I have to do, you know, it's all over the place. But what's nice about it is, again, with the play and pause (laughs) kind of thing, I can write them on different lists or I can address them separately because I can piece them out later. Um, it's kind of like how I think a lot of people do it this way too, with like a brain dump, for example. Yes. Like if they do bullet journaling or just in general, um, just get all the ideas out on paper. And I can't write fast enough for that. My head just goes too fast. There's no way. I'll forget in halfway through a sentence I'm writing what I was even talking about versus if I say it into like an audio format. So yeah, it just it's kind of just works for me. It's just another strategy I've had. That's probably one of the biggest ones I've come up with that has helped me emotionally cope with a lot of things and also just like get myself organized a little bit too. Have you gotten better and better at it? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what better would mean necessarily. <laughs> um, I think I've gotten better at just being consistent with it, which for me is a win because I am inconsistent all the time as we are consistently inconsistent. Um, and that's another thing I've had to like just come to terms with I'm just that way. And some days I'm going to get 500 million things done. Other days I might get one thing done. <laughs> and I ride the wave, you know, of what that is. So, yeah, it's been very helpful for me. And then it sounds like you do use it. Once it's done, you will go back, not maybe every time, but if there are things that you remember I need to pull out, mm-hmm. um, you'll write, the, you'll go back in and you'll write those out. I've had that sometimes. I've also had it sometimes where there is some stuff I want to process about something else, even emotionally sometimes. And I'll go through in my Evernote. It'll save it in a note. And below that, I can make notes if I wanted to. Okay. Um, of like, you know, other things I might have thought of as I'm listening to that. But a lot of times, if it's a really emotional thing, sometimes it's just better of getting it out. And I don't really have to say anything about it or listen to it again unless I want to. But for the most part, the nice thing about it is it's not like I have to like, save it and then go back to it and figure out what it is about. You know, I can save it as a note and I can write the title of like basically what I was talking about, a to-do list and a thing about so-and-so. You know, or, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it was about that, you know. When I asked you a minute ago, I, I asked you, have you gotten better at it? And then I forgot, well, why did I even ask that question? <laughs> but I just remember because a lot of times for me, I've got all these thoughts going in my head and they're moving so quickly. But for me to then even get them out, you know, writing is like, forget it. Mm-hmm. But even for me to talk then, I, sometimes I struggle because the thoughts move so fast. And then by the time they get out, I've forgotten half of them. And I guess that's what I meant. Has it gotten easier and easier for you to verbalize what it is that you're thinking quickly enough before you lose it? Most of the time, um, what I've found out, at least for me, is that, let's see how I put this, that my brain almost automatically will find the things that I really want to talk about. So, you know, a lot of times I I like to feel like, I don't know what anything is important about anything. But if I talk it out, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll pick out the thing that's the most important. If I forget certain things, I do, you know, 
Um, they must not have been that important because they didn't stick in my brain very well. And I know someone that that's kind of like a, a hard thing for me to accept sometimes because I want everything that I know and about to be on paper and I want all my ideas out there and figure out what I'm going to do with them all. But at the same time, that's overwhelming too. So like, as anyone can attest to, it's like making a to-do list of all the things you have to do in one list. It's like, okay, I wanted to cry today, apparently, because I have all these tasks now and I don't know what to do with myself, all these projects I want to do. But when I talk out loud, it's like, it's the stuff that's on the forefront of my mind that comes out first. And usually that's the stuff that needs to be addressed for some reason. Either it's something I've been avoiding because I'm anxious about it. <laughs> so like, I don't want to make that phone call. I just don't. Um, but I know I have to. So we're going to do it and it's going to be fine. And, you know, or I've this, like I said, an emotional issue that's right in the forefront of my brain that's getting in my way, basically. That's one of the other things that I have to kind of work through. It's like, what's getting in my way right now of not being able to do these things? Um, so it's gotten easier, but it usually it seems to be just the way my brain works in terms of like it, impulsively the way it works. So I'm not sitting there thinking about what I'm going to say. I just start talking and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whatever impulsively comes out is the thing that was supposed to come out. I feel like that is, it seems to work okay for me. <laughs> that was no, I, it's such an interesting observation because I think you are so right. It's this overwhelm. There's all this crap up there in our brain and we don't even pause. So no wonder we don't know what the thing is that is really bugging us. But the minute we do and we start processing, it's like, there it is. That's where the impulsivity comes in handy. Yeah. <laughs> you just say the first thing on your mind, blah, 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 blah. It's like the word vomit comes out and you're like, there it is. <laughs> Found it. Yeah. So sometimes that's helpful. And other times, you know, I have at times though, where I've done that and been like, I guess that's what it is. I don't know. And even just admitting to myself, like, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I feel a little bit better maybe, but I'll just keep working on it. And there have been times during the middle of the day, I'll be like, oh, I remembered or I I want to talk about it again or something. And I'll even do it, you know, in my office or something. Um, what's nice, I feel like, and this is the funny part, I guess, to me, because I feel kind of funny just sitting in my work parking lot um, talking to myself. However, what's nice about it is on my phone. And so it looks like I'm talking to my someone on my phone on like uh, speaker phone. <laughs> Cause I'm just holding up the phone to me and blah, 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 blah. So it doesn't look too weird. Cause I know some people worry about that. Um, I just yeah. think I'm very important and busy. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to the most important person in my life. So yeah, that's been really helpful too. And that's one thing I haven't been able to get rid of Evernote ever because of that nifty little feature, unless there's some other thing out there. If other people have other things they've used, that's cool too. But that one I love just because it's, you know, you record, you stop it, it saves it and that's it. Yeah. I think Google docs, they have, I use Google voice typing when I'm trying to start Mm -hmm. writing, I just always struggle. And so it's easier if I can just vomit out everything Uh in my head and then I do the same thing. Yeah. I just don't talk very clearly. So sometimes I have just the funniest sentences that come out. Um, it gets better and better, though, um, mm-hmm. the more you use it. It's, it's actually quite amazing, frankly. Yeah, it um, likes to tell me, when I say ADHD, it just the number 80 HD. Yes, I get that one all the time. That one makes me laugh all the time. <laughs> yeah, I get that one all the time. This is a great, great ADHD workaround. Frankly, one of the best I've heard on here. And I'm definitely going to uh, see if I can put this one to you. So I've got one final question for you. What do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? To be honest, this is probably more recent breakthrough for me because I've been asking myself this question for years because I'm just like, well, I have not found this key. Where is this key? And as soon as I started working, like not to plug the book too much, but uh-huh. I will. The Women with ADHD workbook has been very helpful. I have um, Is figuring out basically that I need to emotionally accept my diagnosis. First, it's just cognitively accepting it. Like logically, I know that it's a neurodivergent thing and it's not me, you know, it's it's ingrained and blah, blah. But all the ingrained shame and guilt about it that I've just learned through my life has been such a powerful influence on how I've emotionally accepted it. Because like I said, my logical brain can be like, yeah, yeah, I know, I have ADHD, you know, my emotional brain's like, mm-hmm, 
you're still <laughs> a horrible woman and you don't know what to do and you're, you know, and this is just an excuse you're using to get out of doing X, Y, Z, right? Or to, you know, make you feel, feel better because you don't do your dishes as often as you should, you know? And so for me, I've been working through that. It's actually, I've had to kind of, um, in my free time, I do get lost in like video games a lot, for example. So I've had to be like, I'm going to go through a little bit of my work on my workbook and then I can play games because that's what I have to, you know, do for myself to make myself get through that because I'm good at starting things, but not finishing them. So that's kind of how I'm doing that. And also in having, um, I've told people I am working on this. And so now they ask about it and I'm like, oh yeah, they're going to hold me accountable. So I use those strategies a lot too, but becoming more emotionally accepting of it and being like, it's okay. This is how it was. And I'm, I'm learning these things. And, you know, between that and having the social support through the Facebook group, for example, has been just the most extremely helpful thing for me that I'm not alone in this. Other people are like me. I'm not the worst one in the world because there's some amazing women on that platform that I'm like, dang, that's amazing, you know, and we're all amazing in our way. And we just have to, you know, come to terms with the fact that we're just not going to be these squares, you know, <laughs> like in the circle world. So like the, the kind of community, right? of yeah, the community of it. And just, it helps me between that and this workbook have helped me become, come to more to terms with it in my deeper brain, so to speak. Um, of being okay with it and not being ashamed of it. And that's been helpful because, you know, um, I think it validates kind of like that book, like I'm not crazy, lazy, or stupid or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Um, that's another book I've read that I've liked. You mean I'm not crazy, lazy, or stupid? Um, has helped a lot because, you know, it is easy to be like, mm, I'm just stupid, <laughs> you know, right. like, whatever. Or lazy. That's a big one. I'm not just lazy, you know. If I wasn't so lazy, if I had more discipline. Um, but uh, those aren't helpful. <laughs> Even though I hear that all the time from people. From, if I hear one more person tell me to use a planner, I might scream. But um, I'm like, oh, you don't think I've bought about a million of planners <laughs> right now? No idea. I spent so much money on planners. I've given up. So, yeah, that's just not for me in that way. But, yeah, I think that's helpful. So, Grace, where can people find you if um, they want to know more about you? I am in the Facebook group. You're in <laughs> the, the easiest way. You're the Smart Ass Women with ADHD okay. podcast Facebook group. So, it's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, like, I do have an Instagram, but I don't end there very much. <laughs> um, not like other people, but I mean, it's a public profile. So, mm-hmm. so they can look Wait. up Grace LaRange. Mm. Yeah, it should come up. But yeah, I'm in the like I said, I'm in the Facebook group. Um, okay. And um, you know, like say, like I can just post in there, you know, whenever this is coming out and whatever. I could say hi if you need other things. Message me. Yeah, I'm pretty open. I'm always looking for new friends, and <laughs> if you, and also just you know, if you like, oh, that sounds like something I've gone through, then you know, I'm always open to talk about that stuff. So wonderful, yeah, Grace. Thank you so very much, not only for what you do because it's so important. I wish my son's schools had a school psychologist like you on staff. Three out of four high schools, by the way, he went to for for high school. Um, wait, he went to three high schools in four years is what mm. I was trying to say. None of them had anyone like you. So oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. We need more of us for sure. There's not a lot of us. Absolutely. But thank you also for spending time with us here today. I just cannot even tell you how much I appreciate you. That's been very wonderful. I'm so glad to be on this opportunity to do this. So it's great. Thank you. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Grace, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews, they really do help in that regard. 
One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio or written message. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.